We continue on this path through the way, the passages of Scripture so connected with this season. Uh, There is one passage from Mark chapter 4 that I want us to focus on for a few moments today. If you want to, uh, to reflect on this with me, if you have your Bibles with you, your um, iPad or phone or whatever, if you want to look this up, it's verse 31 through verse 40, 35 through verse 41, if you would look there. Let me share with you these words of Holy Scripture. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Most of the time, the Sea of Galilee is quiet, even serene. Some of you may have had the opportunity even to be there, see it for yourself. It really is a stretch to call it a sea. It is nothing like the Mediterranean. In fact, it is a small dot on the map compared to anything that looks like an ocean. It is a big lake at best. In fact, Georgia has lakes that would dwarf the size of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is only 8 miles wide. It's 13 miles long. And so it doesn't seem that great a body of water to deal with. But it is so historically significant. The Jordan River runs smack through it. In fact, Jordan River feeds it on the north and then exits it on the south, almost carving this imaginary line through this Sea of Galilee. And you can imagine that on that line there was sort of a point of no crossing any further because those Hebrew people that lived to the west of the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee did not traditionally mix with those who were east of the Sea of Galilee. That was water that you didn't want to get into, turbulent and and so dangerous in some ways to intermix with these different people. It was an almost metaphorical quality to this imaginary line. And yet there were boats that sailed all over it. Uh, Josephus, who is a first century Jewish historian, says that, that as he remembers, he records that there were 230 boats. If you can imagine that, on this small lake, 230 boats that were busy these fishermen busy at their labors. Do you remember how many times Jesus would come up to the edge of the Sea of Galilee and how he walked around this body of water 
preaching and teaching and healing. Do you remember how he engaged with people there? In fact, people were so fascinated with who Jesus was that on this particular day when this occurs, that Jesus says to some fisherman, who knows, maybe Peter, we don't know that, but maybe Peter, he says, he says, let me get into your boat in order to just get some breathing room between himself and the crowd. And they put Jesus in the boat, moved off from the shore just enough distance to sort of create a moat there. And then Jesus preached and shared these wonderful parables with the crowd that he interpreted to his disciples, those in his close inner group. At the close of this day, Jesus was completely spent. He was exhausted. And he asked for them to take him to the other side of the lake. The other, do you know what you're saying, Jesus? To the other side of the lake. Jesus is always trying to take us to the other side of the lake. I mean, some people don't realize that. They think in their lives that Jesus is all about this peace and this quietness. The Jesus that I've come to know doesn't preserve us from getting into very dicey waters because of his calling upon our lives. Jesus, exhausted, asked to go to the other side of the lake, and then he settled down for the journey in the stern of the boat. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, these experienced, well-seasoned fishermen, were no doubt there in the boat with him, along with others that would have been in that vessel. And then the scripture tells us that there were other boats that were going with him to the other side of the sea. Do any of you do any boating? I don't do a lot of boating. I'm sort of fascinated with it. But I don't do a lot of boating. But I know an important thing. It goes like this. Red sky at morning. Sailors take warning. Red sky at night. Sailors delight. Have you heard that one? I think I, I, think I could boat with that knowledge. I think I could do it all. I, I probably have everything that I need to know about boating with just that one little rhyme. I doubt it. But I wonder... I wonder if Peter and Andrew and James and John had an idea, these experienced fishermen that they were, I wonder if they had an idea of what they were headed into when Jesus had them cast out onto the lake that evening. I wonder if they had seen the signs in the sky that morning and they knew this is not something we should be doing 
Can you imagine that already there was a sense of fear that was gripping them in their belly as they were doing what their Lord wished for them to do? They were not going to question what he was saying. But in their minds, they knew what they might encounter. Have you ever been in a boat? For those of you who do boat, have you ever been in a boat when a storm surprised you? I'm uneasy with the idea of getting too far from the shore. I don't want to do it. Don't invite me to go with you deep sea fishing. I have no desire to go deep sea fishing because I've talked to a couple of people that have told me that out there on the water that they have been surprised by storms and they wondered to themselves if they would get back. I don't want to be one of those people. So don't invite me to do that. These fishermen were already beginning to feel this sense of uneasiness because no doubt they had encountered it before themselves. When the winds came rushing in on this lake, this lake, these shirakos that blew in off of the desert that could come in without a moment's notice and change everything, where they would whip up the water to the point where you could not tell if what you were facing was water that was rising up or, rising or falling down, that all of it was water around you. I remember reading in John Wesley's journal. You remember John Wesley, don't you? The founder of the Methodist church. John Wesley and his brother Charles set out in October of 1735 from the shores of England to come as missionaries to this new colony, this place called Georgia. And their chief intention, even though he was the chaplain of Savannah, John was, even though he had that responsibility, he, he, his main work in his mind was to evangelize the Native Americans that were here on these shores. On the way over, this was a four-month ship ride across the Atlantic. Four months, get that. On the way over, they encountered a storm that was so fierce that it broke the main mast on the ship. John Wesley was convinced that the ship was going down. And in fact, he wrote in his journal that he knew that his time was very limited. But he said, he said what puzzled him was that there were some German Christians, some Arabian Christians that were on board the ship. All the Englishmen, he said, we were so frightened. We were beside ourselves. We had gone to our rooms. We were crying in fear. He said, but these Moravian Christians had gathered themselves in the worst part of the storm into a circle, and they had begun, even the children had begun to sing hymns and to pray. And he said, it was astounding 
that they were able to preserve their sense of peace in God's presence in the midst of a situation when everything seemed to be lost. In fact, the very words that John Wesley used, he said, it was then that I realized that mine was a dry land, fair weather faith. Do you feel that way about your own life? Honestly, thinking about who we are, I would say that most of us don't do so well when the waters become rough. It was in 1986 that there was a drought in the Holy Land. Um, The Sea of Galilee began to drain away. The Jordan River was not sending it enough water to sustain it. And so it turned into this muddy bog, except for right in the middle where there was still some water. There were a couple of amateur archaeologists that came upon this boat. This is fascinating. This boat has become known as the Jesus boat because it has been dated to the first century when Jesus would have been on the lake. Now, it is very unlikely that Jesus was in this boat, but it is in a museum in the Holy Land now. What I'm wanting to bring to your attention with this boat, look at the size of this boat. Is that scary or what? Come on, think about it. It's only, they say, about 27 feet long, which would have been the size of the craft that Jesus might have been in with his disciples that night. Think about the vulnerability of a boat like this. I mean, John Wesley, of course, he was on the Atlantic, but he was in a big ship. Jesus was in this size boat when the storm came natural fear gripped them when the disciples began to realize that this boat was bound for the 150 foot depth underneath now all of us understand storms to some degree don't you At least we have dealt with tempests, if not tsunamis, in our lives. I doubt there is a soul that is sitting here this morning that has not experienced very difficult circumstances in some way or the other. Have you? Fear taking over for yourself. Or maybe for a family member or a friend who is going through illness or injury or death or relationships that have begun to crumble and fall apart. Or have have you dealt with financial issues before? You talk about something that can make you afraid. That's something that can shut you down. The storms that come in our lives You have to live in denial 
to believe that they're not there. What was so significant for the disciples was that they were experiencing all of this. And Jesus was asleep there in the boat. How could it be that Jesus slept while the storm raged? How could he do that? How could Jesus do that? In fact, why would Jesus do that? That's what they finally came to. As if he wasn't aware of what was going on. I mean, the boat, the scripture says, was already taking on water. And here he is on a pillow in the back of the boat. He's sleeping. Sure, he's exhausted, but come on. The boat's going down. It's not a matter of just being aware. Aren't you concerned for us and what's going on in our lives. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever been in such a storm that you wondered when or if Jesus was ever going to show up? Have you ever been there? Have you been with somebody else who has experienced this? It's a terrible, terrible place to be. The disciples asked, don't you care that we're drowning? They felt so alone, so helpless on that vulnerable little boat. And this is is where the story becomes so powerful. Because Jesus, he, he looks at them and he wonders. Can't you imagine? He's getting up. He's trying to wake himself up. And he looks at them and he wonders if they're going to get it. I mean, they have been with him. They have seen him heal the lame, cure the blind. They have seen him cast out demons. They have seen him feed the thousands. Are they going to get it? Sometimes I wonder if he thinks the same about us. And he stands up. And they say that the accurate translation of the word is that he muzzled the wind and the rain. And everything was dead still. Jesus, master of the wind and the waves, is the only one that could ever calm our storms. Do you sense that? When life at times may become more difficult than we ever expected, I'm here as your pastor and preacher to remind you that Jesus has not forgotten you. And that he has the power to calm any storm through which you are sailing. Jesus asks his disciples, why do you still have no faith? The disciples look at him in wonder. Not what is happening, but here is where they have made the adjustment. 
they're wondering who this is that could do this. Lest we forget, Jesus has calmed a lot of storms. I'm looking here in this room. I know, I know some of the storms that some of you have been through. I know just looking at you that God has done some good work. Will we remember that? When the next storm comes, because storms always come. Jesus truly calms our storms. I need your help to remind me about this. I need you to tell me about it. And I think we have this responsibility amidst each other to encourage each other. And so I'm going to ask you right now to turn to your neighbor and say, you are a beloved child of God. Do not be afraid. Will you do that right now? If you're not sitting next to somebody, you've got to turn around and look at somebody in the face. You look at them in the face. All right, do it right now. You are a beloved child of God. Do not be afraid. I am not going to be satisfied until everybody in this room has heard that. Say it one more time. Turn to your neighbors. You are a beloved child of God. Do not be afraid. Because you and I need to remind each other of this incredibly important thing. God does care. That doesn't mean that we'll never encounter storms. It means that though he has the ability finally and ultimately to calm the storms in our lives. Do you believe that? Do you? I need somebody to say amen here. Are you? God will bless us and God will calm storms let's bow our heads for just a moment together oh father bless us and keep us in your loving care as we come to this table of grace and grant to us a deep sense of your presence not simply that we ourselves would be calmed but that even we would be able to calm others who are struggling in their lives. Bless us, Lord, and keep us, we pray, in your loving care. Amen.